Does God speak to us today? If you were to hear the voice of God, how would you know if it was really God and not a hallucination or maybe someone trying to play a prank on you? Think about that and we'll return to it on our episode today. Welcome to First 15, brought to you by Word of Prayer. This is Ron and I'll be your guide on this journey. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. Subscribe or follow us if you haven't already. In Season 5, we're learning to pray through narrative or Bible stories, which is the most common literary genre in the Bible. Now, we all have a story. What I mean is, you have a story that you tell about your life. Who you are, where you come from, the most significant things that have happened to you. Maybe you know your story well, or maybe you've never thought much about it. Let me give you a quick example. I was born in Venezuela when my dad worked for an oil company there. I grew up in the southwestern United States in the 1980s, and I have been some kind of teacher most of my life, whether working for the church, in a school, or in business. I lived in Asia twice as an adult, first in Singapore for five years where I met my wife. Then 20 years later, we took our two young boys to live a few years in China. The different places that I've lived, whether South America, the southern U.S., Asia, they've all impacted me. And God has taught me to be more accepting of a broad section of people. I'm trying to use all my experiences to speak to people and teach them about what's most important. So that's my story in a nutshell. What about you? How do you tell your story? What part does God play in your story? You can think about that for a while, and we'll return to it near the end of the episode. As I mentioned, this is season five of our podcast, and in episode one, I introduced the big idea of praying through Bible narrative or story. We heard about Hannah and her desperate desire to be a mother, how she prayed to God and her prayer was heard as baby Samuel was born. In episode 2, we heard her praise of God, and also we heard about Eli and his wicked sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Samuel is mentioned in contrast to these two wicked sons of Eli, but we haven't really heard much about him or from him. Today, all that changes. Samuel has an experience that changes his life forever, and we learn about it in a story in 1 Samuel 3. Now, the whole Bible is one unified story that points us to God, who is most clearly and fully revealed in the person of Jesus. And even though it makes logical sense to start at the beginning, stories often start in the middle of something. They have an interesting hook that makes you want to know more and then go back and fill in what you missed. I've done something like that with this season by starting at a place that's about one quarter of the way into the Bible, the book of 1 Samuel. Now, no one starts reading the Bible at 1 Samuel, or really no one starts telling the story of the Bible beginning with Samuel. So I've done something a little bit different. But that's where we're starting because it lets us make some interesting observations about stories in general and the Bible's overall story specifically. 
And don't worry, we'll go back and we'll give the whole overarching view of the Bible story, starting with Genesis, uh, very soon in upcoming episodes. Many Bible stories are well-known, and they've become part of our culture. Just think for a second about Joseph and his coat of many colors, or David fighting the giant Goliath, or Jesus, born in Bethlehem and placed in a manger. But despite being familiar, there's a few things about most Bible stories that we often see, even if we can't quite put it into words. Here's what I'm talking about. Many times, stories in the Bible lack the details that we're used to. And that leaves us with a lot of unanswered questions. Things like, what did Samuel look like? What about Moses or Jesus for that matter? Something else besides details that are missing is Bible stories often lack judgment or uh, a running commentary about the character's actions. So why didn't Eli confront his wicked sons and correct them, or even remove them from their priestly office? Why did Cain kill his brother Abel? And unlike Aesop's animal fables that have a moral at the end of every tale, more often than not, the Bible doesn't tell us what people did, whether it was right or wrong or just plain foolish. We'll talk more about why that is in upcoming episodes. But for now, just notice it as a feature of Bible narrative. They don't have as much detail as we often expect or look for in stories, and they also don't give us a running commentary or moral judgment on what the characters are doing. Sometimes they do, but it's just not a common feature. It's not something we can expect most times. Now we're going to listen to 1 Samuel chapter 3 today, and I'll read the chapter. 1 Samuel 3. The young boy Samuel accompanied Eli and served Yahweh. Yahweh's word was rare in those days. There were not many visions. It happened that when Eli was lying down in his own place, his eyes, in fact, were so weak that he couldn't see. And yet, before the lamp of God had gone out, and while Samuel was lying down in Yahweh's temple where the ark of God was, Yahweh called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. He ran to Eli, and he said, Here I am. You called me. Eli said, I didn't call. Return and lie down. He went and lay down. Yahweh called yet again. Samuel! Samuel rose up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me? Eli said, I didn't call my son. Return and lie down. Now, Samuel didn't yet know Yahweh. This was before the word of Yahweh was revealed to him. Again, Yahweh called Samuel a third time. He rose up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Eli realized that Yahweh had called the boy. So Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down. If he calls you, make sure you say, Speak, Yahweh, for your servant listens. And so Samuel went and lay down in his place. 
Yahweh came and stood there and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant listens. Yahweh said to Samuel, Pay attention. I will do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. In that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken about his house from beginning to end. For I told him that I will judge his house permanently for the wickedness which he knew because his sons despised me and he didn't restrain them. So I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of his house shall not be removed with sacrifice or offering ever. Samuel lay until the morning and opened the doors of Yahweh's house. Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, he said, Here I am, Eli said. What is the word that he has spoken to you? Please don't hide it from me. May God do the same to you, and even worse, if you hide anything from me of all the things that he spoke to you. Samuel told him every word and hid nothing from him. Eli said, It is Yahweh's. Let him do what he says is good. Samuel grew, and Yahweh was with him and backed up all that he said. Nothing that he spoke was taken lightly. All Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel had the standing of a prophet of Yahweh. Yahweh was appearing again in Shiloh, for Yahweh revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh. By the word of Yahweh. Everything in 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2 about Samuel were really background, introduction for us. And it's these few verses in chapter 3 that really establish who Samuel is. So who is he? Someone who listens to God. God speaks his word to him, and Samuel listens. So remember, Samuel's name literally means, it's translated from Hebrew, heard of God. He was conceived in answer to prayer when God heard Hannah originally. And now, in his first encounter with God's word, he struggles to hear. And it's a frightening word that he's given but in the end, he speaks it faithfully and is established as a prophet or a spokesman of God. I sure would like to have God speak that clearly in my life. Speak, Yahweh. Your servant is listening. That's what I would like to be able to answer in response to hearing God speak audibly and clearly right into my life. So I'm wondering, what does it take to hear God speak? When I stop and think a little bit about this story, and I'm musing over this, I'm meditating on it with you, and I encourage you to do this anytime you read a portion of Scripture like we've just heard. We have to be like a child 
willing to let God write the story. Young Samuel, this young boy, has the openness, the innocence, we might say, of a young child who's just really receptive. Naive, yes, maybe. Innocent. He hears this voice calling him by name, and he assumes it's Eli. That's the only person he can think of who might be calling him in the night. Well, much like the young Samuel, we have to listen and recognize God's voice and then speak his word fearlessly, even when it frightens us. I hope you heard that from Samuel's story. I've said before that all stories have certain elements like plot, setting, and characters. So those three are really crucial elements, plot, setting, and characters. So in this story, let's just go through the list. We have Eli and Samuel, and of course God too, as the primary characters. What about setting? Well, this is set in Shiloh at the house of God, a place where God was worshipped and where offerings were made, where the lamp of God shone and where the ark of the covenant rested. The ark reminded Israel of their own story with God. So this is in between the events of when Israel was in Egypt in need of deliverance. The book of Exodus tells that story. And later in the days of the kings when they had a temple that Solomon built uh, where people would go to worship God. So it's in between those two times. And so they're not wandering in the in the wilderness but they also don't have a temple. And so there's a temporary, uh, the tabernacle that was actually talked about, that God gave instructions about in the book of Exodus. And that is pitched at Shiloh. And that's where Eli is with his sons. And that's where Samuel is. That's our setting. This was a place where people would expect to hear God's word. But God's word is rare in these days. And visions are uncommon. That's what verse 1 tells us. And what about the plot? So we've said plot is the sequence of events, or really basically just what happens. Every plot really needs a conflict, and then action that builds up to a climax, and then a resolution. Without a conflict, you really don't have a story. Just think about this. What if we didn't have verse 1 from 1 Samuel 3? Verse 1 again included these words. Yahweh's word was rare in those days. There were not many visions. That's part of the conflict. In the place where God's, in the place where people expect to meet God, they weren't hearing much or seeing new revelation. I wonder why. Could it be Eli's two wicked sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and the way they are acting in the house of God? Could it be the wickedness that is ignored by their father Eli, an old man who's blind, who morally can't see the consequence of his son's actions? How long will it take before Samuel, growing up in this environment, is going to be corrupted? So all of that is part of the conflict. It's operating there in the background. And so there's, it creates a little bit of tension for us. What's going to happen next? There's a conflict here. 
And it's not that God isn't speaking. The real question is, who's listening? Three times God calls Samuel, and he runs to Eli. The tension builds. Will Samuel end up just going to bed and getting some rest? Just roll over and ignore that disturbing voice. Will Eli fail to recognize God's voice, fail to guide Samuel, just as his own sons have gone off on their own path, clearly not listening to God? In our story here, Eli has an aha and instructs young Samuel on how to listen to God. And then Yahweh speaks, and it's an ear-tingling judgment, a flat-out denunciation of Eli and his house. So, Now that Samuel has unmistakably heard God speak, will he take it to heart? Or will he hide the truth from his spiritual father? The resolution of this story comes as Samuel tells Eli the next morning, every word of it, hiding nothing. Now, that must have been tough for young Samuel, but also tough for old Eli, who has heard this before and has to come face to face with his own failure. It is Yahweh indeed, he replies. Let him do what he says is good. Wow, that's hard. But it's also the truth, the hard truth. And so this one scene in 1 Samuel 3 ends up being typical of the story of Samuel's life. He's someone who listens to God and speaks his word unflinchingly. In other words, he's a prophet, and all Israel takes notice. Later on in his life, he's going to speak God's word to Saul, both that Saul has been selected as king, and then later that he's been disobedient, and God has rejected him, just as he did Eli. And even later, he's going to speak God's word to David, that God has anointed him to be king. So that is Samuel's life story. He's a prophet, and all Israel takes notice. That summary verse at the end of chapter 3 mentions this. From Dan, which is in the far north, down to Beersheba in the far south. That encompasses all Israel. They hear about Samuel. It really puts everyone on notice. Shiloh is back in business. God is speaking, and there's someone there in Shiloh who's listening and teaching the people as well. So there's a note of hope at the end of this story for Israel. 1 Samuel 3 begins and ends with the word of Yahweh. It begins with God's word being rare. It's not heard much in those days. And at the end, there's a powerful spokesman or advocate, a prophet speaking God's word to the people. God is good. And what he calls good is what truly stands. Everything else falls to the ground. Let's take God's word that he's revealed to us here and let's pray it back to him. God, how can I thank you enough for speaking and continuing to speak even when no one is really listening? God, deliver me from spiritual blindness. Give me youthful energy alertness and readiness to respond to you at a moment's notice. God, I'm afraid of speaking your word boldly, especially when it might rock others in their world. Help me carry 
a strong compassion for people and their hearts, and also a strong conviction of your true word. Give me a responsive heart like Samuel, who listened and then obeyed. I take refuge in your word, and I will not be moved by human teachings, no matter how wise they seem. Bring to mind the key parts of my story and help me learn to share it with others and testify to you. In Jesus' name, I pray this. Amen. Now that we've heard God's word and we've meditated on it, we've prayed it back to him, what do we do next? What do we do with this? How do we apply it? It seems to me like all kinds of people can enjoy Bible stories, whether young or old, men, women, non-believers, backsliders, born-again believers, whether you're Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, non-denominational, even Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, Jews, of course, everyone. If you don't know many of the stories in the Bible, you'll be amazed and perplexed at times, but maybe even changed by reading them. Now, if the stories are more familiar to you, I would encourage you to read them again and bring a more mature perspective. You might be surprised by some of the things that you notice when you come at them with another set of eyes, even though they're familiar to you. When we listen and read attentively, we will gain new insights from stories. The Bible stories are actually more complex than they seem to be on the surface. They take some work. It requires some meditation in order to tease out the meanings that are there in the chapters and in the books of the Bible. But I can guarantee you the effort is worth it. And for all of us, we all need more prompts and more practice in actually praying the stories of the Bible. It all starts by repeated reading or listening to the story and asking questions of it. Now, pivot from the Bible story itself to your own story. What is your story? I asked you that at the beginning of the episodes. And if you can tell your own story or not, I want you to think about what is the main conflict that drives most of your actions in life. Can you see where that's taking you? The direction or the, the resolution might be. Where is it ending up? Can you testify to others about your journey thus far? So here's the practical part. I want to encourage you, grab a notebook and try writing out your own story in one short paragraph. Include things about your setting, of course, where when, etc. But also, write about what is driving the plot of your story. What obstacles have you faced? What is the conflict? Or what are the conflicts that you continue to face? Include where it seems to be heading and what you hope lies on the other side of this conflict. I hope this has been helpful. And as I often do, I encourage you to share it with someone else and subscribe or follow our podcast. Also, let us hear from you. Leave us a rating or a comment. Today's episode is brought to you by First Samuel, How to Be a Child After God's Heart. It's a devotional book that you can find on Amazon 
We also have a link to it in our show notes. And in the description, in the show notes that you can find, we also have a link to our YouTube channel. And one of the first videos that I put up there was actually walking through 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 3. And so you can go check that out as well. We've also got a Facebook page as well as an Instagram and Twitter account where you can connect with us on social media. So we look forward to hearing back from you. And until then, keep reading God's Word and meditating on His stories and especially your story and what God is doing in your own life. And then we'll come back next time and talk a little bit more about the bigger story that's going on. Thanks for joining us. Blessings.